Welcome to the stories of Northern life from the Sault Ste. Marie Museum. This episode features a historical recording with D.H. Roy as he talks about the first three years of the Historical Society. He discusses the publications made by the Historical Society and the beginning years of how the group functioned. While listening, keep in mind this was recorded in 1969. We recognize that some of the language is not modern and it is not acceptable. Please listen to the history being shared, but keep in mind that Indigenous peoples' respective identities were neither recognized nor respected in mainstream discourse. The term used simplifies the diverse set of individuals and groups. Our intention in sharing this recording is to highlight our local history as well as examples of the way Indigenous groups and nations were acknowledged instilling how we can still do better in today's world. Historical Society meeting, Thursday, January 16, 1969. Paper presented by D.H. Roy. The first three years of our historical society. A meeting of a number of persons interested in historical matters pertaining to the city of Sault Ste. Marie was held at Judge Stone's residence on August 10, 1920. Those present were Judge Stone, Dr. J.A. Coyne of St. Thomas, Colonel P.T. Rowland, Major Harry Hamilton, Messrs. James Bassingsway, Fred Lloyd, L.A. Green, J.E. Irving, J.A. McPhail, J.H. McKay, H.J. Hollingrake, and T.E. Carmichael. Judge Stone acted as chairman of the meeting. A discussion took place as to the need for a historical society in this city and the scope of such an organization. Dr. J.H. Coyne explained to the meeting the method of organization whereby the society became connected with the Ontario Historical Society and obtained the powers of corporation. He also explained the activities of the Dominion Sites and Monuments Commission, of which he is a member, and advised the meeting that certain places of historical interest in this city would receive recognition at the hands of the Commission. It was moved by Mr. James Bassingsweight and seconded by J.H. McKay that a historical society be organized in this city to be affiliated with the Ontario Historical Society, and that the chairman appoint a committee to draft a constitution to be submitted to a meeting of all persons in the city interested in historical matters. Such a meeting to be at the call of the committee. Motion was carried. The chairman accordingly appointed Colonel P.T. Rowland, Major Harry Hamilton, and Mr. T.E. Carmichael to the committee. Dr. Coyne kindly consented to aid the committee in their work. The meeting then adjourned. Signed, T.E. Carmichael, Secretary Pro Tem. Madam President, ladies and gentlemen, have just read the first recorded record of our historical society. It is a pleasure to have been asked to review for this meeting the early days of the society. At this time, I would like to tell you that our late esteemed member, Mr. J. Hayes Jenkinson, was to deliver a paper on this subject, but unfortunately was stricken before he was able to prepare and deliver his address to the society. It is our great misfortune that Mr. Jenkinson was unable to present his talk on this subject because he will see as our early history unfolds that he was a very keen and active member from the founding of the society. One week after the original meeting, another was called 
in the council chambers of City Hall. Judge Stone was again appointed chairman. He then called on Colonel Rowland to present the draft constitution which his committee had prepared. After discussion and amendments, it was moved by Mr. J. H. McKay and seconded by Mr. J. Hayes Jenkinson that the constitution as amended be adopted, carried. Colonel Rowland then presented a slate of officers. Honorary President, His Honor Judge Stone. President, J.W. LeBee Ross. Vice President, J.H. McKay. Secretary, T.E. Carmichael. Treasurer, J. Hayes Jenkinson. Editor, E. Ross McKay. Curator, Ms. D. Carlisle. Counselors, F.J. Faulkner, J. Bassingswaite, A.D. McNabb, W.J. Thompson, L.A. Green, J.E. Irving. Moved by J.A. McPhail and Colonel Rowland that the Secretary cast a ballot for the names as suggested in the site presented. Carried. And so your society, your historical society, came into being on August the 17th, 1920. In the minutes of this meeting, it is recorded that Judge Stone, on behalf of Dr. Coyne, presented the society a copy of his book on Galini's travels. And so our library also dates from August the 17th, 1920. Noted also, annual fee be set at $2. It is rather interesting to see that there are still a few things that inflation have not caught up with. Mr. F. N. Faulkner, pardon me, F. J. Faulkner, one of the oldest inhabitants of the city, then entertained the meeting for a few minutes by relating some interesting events in the early history of the city. How unfortunate that this was not recorded, but some of his memories are published by the Society. Gleaned from the minutes of the second meeting, September the 21st, 1920, that we apply for affiliation with the Ontario Historical Society, that the Secretary write Mr. W. O. Carson in regard to grants made to historical societies, that a committee be appointed to interview the older residents with a view of obtaining definite information in their possession. Mr. Jenkinson, Mr. Bassingwaite, Ms. Carlisle were the committee. We still have a long way to go. We are still attempting to uh, do this uh, now today with our tape recorder trying to get the stories of our older citizens on tape. That a committee on archives be appointed. At the fourth meeting on November the 25th, 1920, a resolution inviting the Ontario Historical Society to hold their annual meeting in Sault Ste. Marie on June 14th, 1921. Here we are, what, 48 years later, and we have again extended an invitation for the Ontario Historical Society to meet in Sault Ste. Marie. Also, the Chippewa Historical Society be advised regarding their cooperation in some celebration of the pageant of St. Luzon on June the 14th, 1921. Mr. Bassenswaite reported verbally on an interview with James Busnell, one of the oldest Sioux citizens. This is recorded in the Society's first publication. Mr. Carmichael presented a paper on the pageant of St. Luzon. Recommended the papers and reports of an historical interest be written and given to the secretary for the society's records. At the end of our society's first year, the activities of Sioux Historical Society were published in a very fine annual report. The cost was $150, which they expected would be covered by a grant from the Ontario government. 
After much correspondence with several people connected with the historical societies and their work, as well as various officials of the government, here are the results after three years. The following is a quote from a letter to the Honorable James Lyons, Minister of Lands and Forests, our representative at Queen's Park. Quote, Briefly, the situation is this. The Sault Ste. Marie Historical Society was formed in the fall of 1920. 1921 was a very successful year, during which we had a number of meetings and issued a publication, which met with considerable approval. In September 1920, I wrote as Secretary of the Society to inquire as to a grant, and was told that there was no means by which a grant could be obtained for that year. The matter was then dropped until April 1922 when I made an application to the Department of Education, but was advised that the estimates had already been completed and I was requested to renew the application early in 1923. I applied again on January 26, 1923, and as we did not receive any reply to my letter, I wrote again on April the 13th. On May the 23rd, I received a letter from the department advising me that there were no funds provided for a grant to our society. And a quote. I have not had an opportunity to probe deeply enough to find out if the society ever did get a grant or if the Sioux Star ever did receive payment for the printing of our first annual report. Maybe this is why I have not found any further volumes. In reviewing the early history of the society, one cannot help but ask the question, why 1920? Was it because some of our citizens had returned from the European War and while there had seen and appreciated history and realized the potential wealth of history associated with the Sioux, with the Sioux St. Marie, the Indians' meeting place for unknown centuries, the glamour of the fur trade, or maybe the, the initiative of a group of our leading citizens, many of whom undoubtedly had taken a keen interest in historical matters. One name that comes to mind is that of J.W. Kern, a man who, all except newcomers to the Sioux, will well remember as a person extremely interested in historical matters, and especially of a local nature. We must honor those men who established this society some 49 years ago, and marvel at the things they accomplished in three years, which is period under review this evening. Predating the establishment of the Society, I saw a letter addressed to Mr. F. H. Pope, signed by David Ross McCord of the McCord National Museum, McGill University, dated July the 14th, 1920, inquiring if the exact site is known on which the cross was erected. This course has reference to St. Luzon, who on June the 14th, 1671, with a company of Frenchmen, Jesuit priests, and many Indians who had been gathered for many miles, performed a most impressive ceremony, claiming all the continent except the East Coast British colonies for the French King Louis XIV. Unfortunately, I do not think that anyone was in a position to give the gentleman an answer. However, you will recall that at the fourth meeting in November 1920, the Chippewa Historical Society of Sioux, Michigan was invited to cooperate in a joint celebration of the pageant of St. Luzon on June the 14th, 1921. But it did not find any record of such activities. There is a record in our first publication of a most interesting paper delivered by Mr. T. E. Carmichael dealing with the pageant of St. Don, in which he points out 
someone was instrumental in having a shaft erected just north of the old Sioux, Michigan post office to mark the site. Mr. Carnicle goes on to point out many flaws in this location and with considerable logic concludes the site must have been in the area of Fort Brady or as it is now Lake Superior State College. It is interesting reading and I would highly recommend it to you. Also during the first year other extremely interesting papers were presented. These were the capture of Fort Michigan Mackinac in 1812 by his honor Judge Stone and transportation in the early days by Mr. J.W. Levy Ross, President. This last paper dealt with the water transportation as that was the only means of transportation in the early days. He traced the development of canals and locks on the St. Lawrence and concludes with an account of finding the location of the old Northwest Fur Company lock here in the Sioux. As a matter of interest, Mr. Ross was one of the people who discovered the location of the lock. It had become lost due to action in the war of 1812-14 and subsequently entirely covered with gold of one sort and another. Mr. James Bassins Waite also presented an interesting paper, The Story of Early Days, as remembered by Mr. Joseph and Emery Busnell, consisted of their memories and stories covering a period back as far as 1840. This contained some fascinating stories, including one concerning Colonel Prince, who it seems had all the justice on his side. Also in the first year, a letter from the Sault Ste. Marie Council of Women, signed by Gertrude B. Way, presenting the society with a framed map of the St. Mary's River. It had been presented to them by a Mrs. Cun Cummings of the National Council of Women, Toronto. The map had been located among papers of her uncle a one-time member of the Royal Engineers. Isn't it nice that such items are sometimes returned to the area where they rightfully belong? So you can see that the first year was full of most exciting events. The second year does not appear to be as well documented. However, there is considerable correspondence with various government departments, the Public Archives of Canada, the State Historical Society of Wisconsin, as well as the Michigan Historic Commission requesting information, re-historical publications, which might be available to add to the Society's library, which, by the end of the first year, consisted of some 63 books and pamphlets. I do not know how successful this search was, nor to what extent our library benefited. It does, however, indicate that the Society had been very active. It is interesting to note a letter from the Michigan Historical Commission addressed to Judge Stone commenting on the fact that the Canadian Historical Society was arranging to place legends upon principal locations of interest in the Canadian Sioux and requesting any information that our researching might turn up in connection with Michigan settlements. This leads us to the really glorious climax of our third year as an organized society. I am referring, of course, to the Sioux's Discovery Week and Soldiers' Reunion on August 4th to 8th, 1923. This, of course, was not a historical society event, rather the efforts of the entire community led by the Canadian Legion. However, reading the souvenir booklet, which contains so many articles outlining the historical significance of the Sioux, 
and it was all written by society members. It is thus obvious that our society played a great part. It must be stated here that during this week many historical tablets were unveiled, as noted earlier. This was the successful conclusion of three years' work by your society. The program was as follows. Monday, August the 6th, saw the unveiling of the memorial to Brielle at the ship canal. This involved a pageant of Brielle's landing near the canal and the unveiling ceremony. Then the Dominion Sites and Monuments Board unveiled their cairn at the site of the old Northwest Company's lock. This cairn had just been constructed for this event. Dr. J. H. Coyne officiated at this unveiling ceremony. Wednesday, August the 8th, witnessed the pilgrimage of the tablets. This was a pilgrimage which proceeded along Queen Street from East Street to Huron Street and then to the office building of the Spanish River pulp and paper mill, now the Abitibi, beside the reconstructed Northwest Company lock. As they proceeded along Queen Street, the following plaques were unveiled. This must have been a most thrilling event for the members of the society, the local citizens, as well as visitors. Can you not picture them proceeding down Queen Street, starting at East Street, where on the old post office building, a tablet was unveiled to the capture of Fort Mackinac by Captain Roberts with help from gentlemen from the Sioux. At Brock Street on the Royal Bank building to the Ojibwe's, the first inhabitants of the Sioux prior to 1600. At the Bank of Commerce building, a tablet to Jean Nicolay, the explorer who arrived at the Sioux in 1634 was unveiled. At the Imperial Bank at Spring Street, a tablet noting 1622 Sioux de Gaston, name given to the rapids by Brule. At the Cochran Hardware Building at Elgin Street, 1632 Champlain's map shows seven Ojibwe cabins at the Sioux. At the Imperial Bank at Gore Street, 1671 St. Luzon took formal possession of most of the continent in the name of the French king. At Queen and Huron, commemorating the Courier de Bois and the other gallant sons of France who have passed this way, and also at Queen and Huron, to the Red River Expedition of 1870 under command of Colonel Wolseley. On the Great Lakes Power Company building, a tablet Stating 1674, Joliet's map first shows Sault Ste. Marie. On the Spanish River office buildings, 1783, Northwest Company took over the old French trading fort. And also on the same building, noting in 1821, the Hudson Bay Company amalgamated with the Northwest Company. What a great event this must have been for the members of our society, citizens, and visitors. These above events certainly indicate keen interest in an active society. During the winter of 22 to 23, they still had time for papers to be delivered, although I have not found the subject matter. Then there is a letter from J.A. Mitchell, noting an item in the Globe and Mail 
of January the 18th, 1953, reporting on a paper presented by Mr. W.J. Kern. Mr. Mitchell signs as Assistant Archivist of Canada and is requesting he be placed on our mailing list for copies of anything the organization may have issued or will publish hereafter. And last of all, there is in the file a most interesting paper presented May the 29th, 1923, by Mr. J. Bassingswaite, dealing with the trials and tribulations of a pioneer of Sylvan Valley. The short of the life of Mr. W. P. Hodgkinson, who settled there in 1877. When you hear it said, pioneers were a sturdy stock, you want to believe it. Let me quote part of the story. It was not just a pleasure trip when he moved up to this district with his personal effects and farm stock. The vessel was wrecked near Cockburn Island. He lost all his personal effects, but his cattle swam to the island. He had to take men from Sugar Island and a leaky boat to round up his cattle. He got them to Hilton and then to Garden River, but by that time he only had one cow left. Garden River was quite a town. Ek Bay did not exist. He and his neighbors, one being Thomas Orchard, occasionally walked to the Sioux. Money was scarce, and his wife made him a Sunday suit out of cotton bags, getting thread by raveling the cotton. And so, on this note, I shall close.